and I, we were blessed to hear Craig speak tonight too. And it's like everything just kind of comes together. And uh, and so we're going to be going through some of Second Peter tonight. But what I really want to talk about uh, when I was a kid in starting in eighth grade, I was in band and. and they, they let us eighth graders play in the high school band because we weren't a very big school in our part of West Texas. My graduating class in 1982, we graduated 62 students. It was an all-time record. So that tells you that in the classes before were even smaller than that. And uh, band hadn't really been a very big deal, but we got a new band director, and he really got everybody on board. But he, he needed some extra kids, so he let the eighth graders come up and play in the high school band, which was really awesome because every year the high school band went to Six Flags over Texas. They spent the night there. They got to spend an entire day at Six Flags. Now, have any of you ever been to a big amusement park like Six Flags over Texas? couple of you have. Any of you really big roller coaster fans? Just love roller coasters? Okay. See, we got to Six Flags. I'd never been on a roller coaster. And the first year I went, Six Flags had just installed a double loop steel roller coaster called the Shockwave. And I remember standing there looking at that going, there ain't no way. There ain't no way I'm going to get on that thing. Now, Six Flags had some other roller coasters, too. They had the Shockwave. They had one called the Texas Rattler, which was one of those really great big uh, wooden roller coasters. It really shakes you real good. But it went up really, really high before it started, and I'm afraid of heights. And I'm looking at it going, there ain't no way I'm doing the Texas Rattler. And then they had one called the Runaway Mine Train, which was a little bit smaller, but still much faster than I ever wanted to go. And then they had the mini mine train. It was the one that, you know, most of them say you have to be this tall to ride on this one. Well, the mini mine train, you only had to be about this tall. And I said, that one's for me. And so I went and I talked one of my buddies into going with me on the mini mine train and we rode it. Scared me to death, but it was exciting and I thought, oh, that was so cool. That was so cool. And so I rode it about 14 times. My buddy kept saying, well, let's go ride the Shockwave. It's the brand new, top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art, fast roller coaster. And I'm like, uh-uh, that ain't happening. So the next year we go back. And I rode the Mini Mine Train many, many, many times. And the next year we went back. And I rode the Mini Mine Train. And my buddy was like, Lance, come on. Do you know everybody's making fun of us? for riding the mini mine train. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care because I'm not getting on that big scary thing. And he said, I've ridden it. It's not that scary. It's awesome, man. It, it is such an adrenaline rush. You've got to ride it. I'm like, I ain't doing it. Finally, when I was a senior in high school, and we was right, everybody was making fun of me because I only rode the little kitty roller coaster. So finally, I just decided I'm going to show them up. I'm going to go ride the shockwave. And I got up there, and it did. It terrified me. And when I got off, all I wanted to do was ride it again. That was the most awesome experience ever. And what I want to share with you this evening is... I believe that most of us as Christians have been told that God wants to give us an amazing experience, but we're too afraid to let Him. 
And so that's kind of where we're going to be going with this lesson tonight. Let's start with a prayer. Our Father, we come to you this evening, and what we want more than anything else is to know you in such a powerful way that that we trust you more fully every day, that we lean on you, that we live in you, and that you let us experience the amazing blessings and joy of life that you have in store for us. I pray that we can open our eyes and open our minds a little bit tonight, that we can really reach out and, and, and touch those things and experience them and let them change our lives. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them to First Peter chapter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1. We're just going to kind of read through this. I've read through it quite a few times in the last several weeks trying to get ready for this lesson. And it begins, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, real quick, just a test to see if you were paying attention to Craig. Is that an objective truth or a subjective truth? We have faith of equal value as the apostles. It's true, right? Peter says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, since you guys failed that test miserably, we'll have another one in a little bit. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has granted granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through him you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are in you and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will, you will be, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir up by way of a reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at at any time to recall these things. Now, 
I want you to, to just kind of glance back through there and look at all of the times he talks about this knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's very important to him that we know God, that we know Christ, and that our understanding of him continues to grow. And then if you flip over to the very last statement of that letter in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And the reason I struggle a little as I'm reading through here, I have preached and and studied and read and taught from the NIV for the last 30 some odd years, and I've I've just gotten a new Bible and it's an ESV, and they didn't word it the way I've memorized most things. So anyway, it's not that I can't read, it's just it's a different translation. So the knowledge of God is very important to Peter, and he wants to make sure that we come to know God in a very deep and intimate and personal way. But in in the letter, and you can go through and read the rest of it, he never really tells us how to do that. So I was reading a couple of commentaries, and one of the commentaries said that there were three principal ways that Peter came to know God or to know Jesus. Number one, he walked with him and lived with him every day for like three years. And you know, the best way to get to know somebody is to spend a lot of close, personal time with that person. And, and so I think that was one of the greatest ways to get to know who Jesus was, by just spending a lot of time with him. But I want you to look also at what Peter says over here in... Excuse me. Oh, I didn't turn back. Over here in... Let me get my notes here. Okay, Peter was an eyewitness. I already said that in chapter 1, verse 16 uh, through 18. But look down in verse 19 and 20. In verse 19 of chapter 1, Peter says, And we have something more sure more sure even than his personal experience with Jesus, Peter says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter says not only did he get to spend time with Jesus, but he had the word of God. He had the Old Testament. That's what they had at that time period. So You could stop right there and say, well, if you wanted to get to know who Jesus is, you spend a lot of time with him and you read your Bibles. But let me ask you guys this question. How many of you have spent any time walking next to Jesus in the last year? I mean, physically walking next to him. And and why not? Why not? He's not on earth. Thank you. It really wasn't a trick question. He's not on earth, so we really can't do that. But we do have our Bibles, so it would be really easy for me to be just the preacher and say, so if you guys want to get to know God and you get to want, to want to get to know Jesus, you just read your Bibles a lot. But that doesn't always do it for me anyway. 
so there was one other thing that, that one of these commentators said. He said not only did, did Peter walk with Jesus and he had the word of God, but he also gained a lot of knowledge from God through the fulfillment of God's promises to him. And I want us to, to think about a couple of things this, this evening. Uh, by the way, somebody said something about being tired. It's late in the evening, so falling asleep. If I start snoring in the middle of this, uh, somebody just woke me up, okay? Because I'm old and I'm normally in bed by this time. So I want us to look at a couple of passages. Uh, John chapter 14. And this is to address that thing uh, about Jesus not being here with us. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Do we have the Holy Spirit? This is yes, this is no. Okay? Earlier, that was one of those objective truths that you've received the Holy Spirit, right? Do we believe that? Okay, yeah, we do. Now I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 28, and let's read verses 18 through 20. Oh, the world is really going to get interesting now. My right hearing aid just died. Matthew chapter 28. You guys didn't get to hear the little tone that it played for me. So if it sounds like I'm hearing voices, that's what it is. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you guys believe that statement? Yes. Thank you. You're getting better at that. This is yes. This is no. So so are we really, truly without Jesus in our midst today? I'm going to suggest that we're not. Jesus promised to send us the Holy Spirit. It's been an objective truth that we have received the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. Jesus promised His disciples, I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm sending a helper, and I'm not going to leave you. I'll always be with you. So I think we can walk with Jesus in a way today similar to what Peter did. We do have the New Testament, and we have the Old Testament, so we have that same surety that he had in in First Peter or in Second Peter, but then we also have these promises of God, and I think this may be where we sometimes miss what God wants us to do. We don't experience Him, we don't get to know Him because we don't really experience His promises very well. We don't we don't trust in what He says He's going to do. 
One of the ways Peter and his uh, and the apostles got to know Jesus was Jesus was always telling them to do stuff. And when he would tell them to do stuff, there was a promise that was inherent with what he told them to do. Like, for instance, one time Peter's been out fishing. He's been out fishing all night and he hadn't caught anything. Jesus is standing over on the beach and Jesus yells something to, to Peter and the other guys in the boat. Do you remember what he yelled to him? Yeah, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And that was absurd. Peter was a professional fisherman. He's fished all night. He knows how to fish. He knows how to catch fish. Throwing the net on the other side of the boat is not going to accomplish anything at all. But when Jesus made that statement, there was a promise inherent in that statement. What do you think that promise was? Say that again. Fishies. Fishies, exactly. The promise was, if you do what I'm telling you, you're going to catch fish. Peter throws the net on the other side of the boat, and what happened? Fish. Absolutely. Amazing stuff. One time they're sitting around, and there's like 5,000 people around, and they're all hungry, and one of the apostles comes to Jesus and says, Hey, should we send to town and get pizza? Everybody's hungry. And Jesus says, I tell you, you feed them. It was the absurd thing that he told him to do, but there was a promise inherent in that. What was that promise, do you think? Food will come. Food will come. So he tells him, he said, gather up all the food that you've got. They come back with this little kid's snack pack, and they put it in a basket. Jesus lifts it over his head. He starts handing out food. They gather up 12 basketfuls of leftovers from a happy meal because God told them to do something they accepted the promise that was in that and they did it and guess what God comes through uh, trying to think of, an, of another example uh, oh, one time all the apostles are in this boat and they're sailing across this lake and there's a storm that comes up they left Jesus on the bank. They're rowing with everything they've got to get to the other side. They look up and there's this guy walking across the lake. Peter asked Jesus, says, can I come to you? And what does Jesus tell him? Yeah. There's a promise inherent in that. What was the promise? You're walk on water, dude. Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. You see, I, I really believe that that is one of the ways that Peter came to really know who Jesus was. Jesus is a guy that calls us to do stuff, and he's with us, and he provides what he asks us to do. And by trusting him once, and trusting him again, and trusting him again, Peter begins to realize and understand that this Jesus is true. And he can do amazing wonderful, spectacular things. Now my question to you guys is, when God, Jesus, through His Word, calls you to do something, do you do it? Do you trust the promise that's inherent in what He calls you to do? I think if we would, we would experience God in a much more fulfilling, awesome way.
Now, I've got to open my iPad because I've got some notes in my notebooks. I sat down a couple of weeks ago and I was going to write out my lesson and I got started on it. And then I was somewhere else and I came up with some different notes and I didn't have my notebooks, but I had my iPad, so I've got notes on both places. But So here's some things I want to, want to share with you. Now, and I know this, this may sound a little weird, and I don't want you to think that I'm goofy, er, I don't want you to say I'm goofy-er than I really am, but, but I want to share with you a couple of experiences with me. When I was an early Christian, uh, getting ready to move from Lubbock, Texas up to the Seattle area, I was really nervous. I'd never lived anywhere other than the state of Texas, and I was leaving all of my family behind. And I had just been doing a lot of Bible study with this guy that kind of brought me into my relationship, a very young, early relationship with God. And I was talking to this guy. He he knew my older brother real well. My older brother and his wife were struggling in their marriage. My older brother was struggling in his faith. And uh, and I I went to Fred, the guy that was discipling me, and I said, Fred, I just I really feel like I need to have a talk with my brother before I leave the state. And he said, Well, why do you feel that way? And I kind of explained all the different stuff that was going on. And and he said, You know, God may be telling you you need to go talk to your brother. And I was like, that is weird. God doesn't do that kind of stuff today. But I just, it just kept eating on me. You need to go talk to your brother. You need to go talk to your brother. And so finally, when, and I was not good. At, I, I'm a new Christian, wasn't comfortable sharing my faith, especially wasn't comfortable talking to my older brother about his marriage when mine had enough struggles of its own. But finally one day I just thought, I'm going to go over there. And so I went over and I sat down and I talked to him and I said, you know, I really worry about you and Debbie. And he said, you know, Lance, he said, it's neat that you bring that up because we actually made an appointment with a counselor. We're going to get some help and we've been going back to church. We've been talking to our pastor and all this kind of stuff. And and I said, well, that, that's awesome. I'm really excited for you, Pee Wee. That's my older brother's name is Pee Wee. Well, it's not his real name, but that's what I've always called him. And... uh I said, but there's one other thing I want to talk to you about. I said, you know, since I've become a Christian, it's really made a big difference in my life. And I know you guys go to a church, but I don't know if you really have a relationship with God. And he said, you know, he said, I appreciate you bringing that up to me. He said, I've really been thinking a lot about that for a while. And he said, uh, you know, I've really come to realize that, that I think God sent more than one prophet into the world. I think Muhammad and Buddha and Jesus were all sent by God to different people in different times and stuff. And and I was sitting there thinking, I don't have any idea what to say to that. And then finally I said, well, the only thing about that is only one of those guys got up and walked out of his grave. And my brother said, yeah, I think, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. And I didn't have anything else to say, so I left, and I went and I got in my pickup, put it in gear, took off down the road. I got about three houses down from there, and I had to pull over because I just had this, I don't even know exactly how to explain it. It was just this overwhelming sense of, that's what I wanted you to do. And I really thought I was losing my mind. I thought I had gone off the deep end, I'm going insane, I'm experiencing weird stuff. 
Never told anybody about it. I just went on about my business. Uh, several years later, uh, when I was working in youth ministry up in the Seattle area, I, and I, at camp I shared with those of you who were there that my first wife and I lost a daughter and uh, how that was such a rough time for me. And it was the event that forced me to realize I had no control over anything in life. And it forced me to just put everything in God's hands. I remember sitting at the house one day just saying, God, I cannot do this. I'm putting it in your hands. I'm just going to let you take care of everything. I'm just going on autopilot for a while. And about six months later, I was at a youth rally uh, down in Oregon with our teens. There was a guy named Rex Boyles there. He was from the Sunset School of Preaching. He was one of the speakers. Did I tell you guys this part of the story at camp or not? Probably not. But anyway, so Rex is there, and I'm sharing with him my heartbreaking, pitiful story about losing our daughter. And I'm telling him about everything that went on after that, and, you know, just all of the events that transpired. And he starts smiling at me. I wanted wanted to smile at my heartbreak, dude, you know. And finally, I just confronted him. I said, why are you smiling? And he said, you don't see it, do you? And I said, don't see what? And he said, everything you ask God to do, he did. And he was right. I hadn't seen it. And I started thinking back about all the ways things worked and turned out. And it was like, wow, that I'd never seen God act like that. About two months later after that, I'm in the hospital. I was still working in the medical field at that time. I'm doing an echocardiogram on a lady who's got a really bad, serious heart issue. She's early 80s, may not leave the hospital. That's how bad things are for her. And we get to talking, and and she... I told her I was doing youth ministry, volunteer youth ministry, and she said, oh, she said, that is so cool. She said, I taught Sunday school at my Lutheran church for almost 70 years. I was like, really? 70 years? She started when she was in her early teens and taught every Sunday for almost 70 years. She said, they even gave me an award a couple of years ago for perfect attendance for 58 years. I never missed a Sunday. I was like, that is so weird, man. And then she started crying. And she said, you know what's really sad is today, sitting in this hospital bed, I don't know if I really believe. And I thought, that is so sad. And she said, is there anything you can share with me to help me believe that God is real? And I said, yeah. I said, let me share my experience with her. And I went through the whole thing about the loss of the daughter and all of the, and me just surrendering and saying, God, I can't do this. I'm going to let you do it. And then six months later, running into Rex Boyles and him telling me that God actually did everything I asked. And I went through all of that with her. And I said, I will tell you from my own personal experience, God is real and He's alive. And he wants to be involved in our lives. And she and I are both crying. And she said, you have no idea how much that helped me. She said, would you pray with me? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so we prayed together. And when I left the hospital room, I pushed my big machine out. And I got out into the hall. And 
I'm shutting the door and I start down the hall, that same thing happened to me again. I fell up against the wall, just broke down crying because I just felt like God was saying, that's what I wanted you to do. Now, I'm going to be real honest. I know those are subjective experiences, meaning that that I can't validate that that was really God doing anything or not. I don't want to leave you guys thinking you're going to go out and have all these mystic experiences. Those are the only two times in my life that that has happened. I would love it if it happened again, but it hasn't happened since then. But what I have come to discover more and more is that when God's Word tells me to do something, and I'm struggling and stressing with doing it. For instance, uh, find the passage of Scripture here. Not too long ago, I had a conflict with someone. Uh, there's been an issue going on that just wasn't resolving itself and wasn't resolving itself. And God's Word tells us that when you've got a problem with someone, you are to go to that person and you're supposed to deal with it, right? Am I correct in that? Yes. So let me look and see here. So I've got two passages of Scripture and I want to make sure I get the right one. Another great thing about a new Bible is all my pages are stuck together. Nope, that's not it. Well, anyway. There's a one passage of Scripture when it's talking about dealing with someone in conflict and going to the person that you're having a struggle with. And Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there with them. Right? You guys familiar with that passage of Scripture? Somebody tell me what book, chapter, and verse it's in. Okay. My hearing is... Matthew 11. It, you're right, it is Matthew 11. I have Matthew 12 written. But anyway, that's what it says. Where two of you are gathered together, I am, in a, I am there with you. So I'm sitting here, and I've been struggling for weeks and weeks about this situation. I don't like conflict. I am a peacemaker by nature. I do not like conflict. I would rather just kind of crawl under a table and let things work themselves out on their own. But yet I knew that because this guy's a Christian and I'm a Christian, somebody needs to break the ice here. And all that tension and all that angst and everything was just building and building. And finally I called him and I said, hey, we need to sit down and have coffee. And we did. And before he came there, I, I prayed. I said, Lord, I just really need you to be here with me because I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I feel like Peter being asked to step out of a boat, and I'm scared to death. We met, we talked, and I'm not going to tell you everything worked itself out, but what I will tell you is that when I left, there was a peace that I had that I don't have any other explanation for it except for the fact that God loves it when we do what He calls us to do. God's Word is all about us doing what He calls us to do. The Matthew passage that I was looking at uh, just a second ago was Matthew chapter 12. Now, if you've got your Bibles and want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46, 
While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sisters and my mother. So what God wants us to do, what Jesus calls us to do, is to just do what he says we're supposed to do. And I want to encourage you guys that if we would do that, God is going, we're going to come to know him because God says, I want you to do this. And we say, God, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know if I can trust that you're going to be there. But if we finally step out and do it, he will reveal himself. And then we can look back and say, wow, God really was there. And so the next time something comes up and he's calling us to do something, we say, well, I really don't feel comfortable with this. But then we think back, well, last time I did what he asked me to do, he came through and I was there. So we do it again. And before long, we're actually trusting that God is there because we know him. We've experienced him. We have dealt, we've dwelt in relationship with him through the midst of our struggles and our hard times. So I want you to, somebody turn to Matthew chapter 12 and read for us verse 22, wait a minute, nope, that's not it, Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 34. And if someone will find that, I'm going to hand you the mic and let you read that for us out loud. Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 34. Is it crazy weird like... Oh, you got that one? Okay. 22 to 36, right? Uh, what I said. Yeah. 34. Okay. Then he said to his disciples... Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat, nor about the body, what about you or what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek... And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what you have, and give alms. Provide, yourself, provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Do any of you worry about stuff? Yeah. Stop. 
mean, Jesus says, don't worry about this stuff. So if Jesus says, don't worry about these things, then why do we worry about these things? Could it be that maybe we don't really trust him? That maybe we don't really take him seriously? And I want to encourage you guys that if you will start doing that, God will show up. He really will. Another one, uh, somebody in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 through 30. Somebody different. Matthew 11, 27 through 30. I'd ask you to do something that you don't want to do. You're going to do it. You're going to be blessed afterwards. Anyway, go ahead. I know. <laughs> I, this? Matthew 11, 27. 27 through 30, not 21. Okay. He said, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except for the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except for the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him, come to me. Wait, what? Yeah. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Thank you. Thank you, sir, very much. Any of you ever have this uneasiness in your soul? Yeah. But Jesus says if we'll come to him, he'll give us rest. Why don't we do that? Maybe it's because we don't fully trust him. Maybe we haven't spent enough time and experienced him enough to know that he is true in what he says. One more, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, this is actually what I was going to read earlier. It's not in Matthew 11 anyway. So, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or more witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. So let me ask you guys, have any of you ever had someone that has offended you, or somebody that's done something that hurts you, Yeah. Did you go to that person and talk to them? And then if it didn't work out, did you go get someone else and you take them with you? You know, in in all the years that I've done ministry, I have seen more church people handle conflict poorly 
when God's Word tells us exactly how we need to do it. And when I've seen people do it the way God says to do it, see, because I think there's a promise inherent in that. When Jesus says, if you do it my way, I'll show up. And He does. And so I just really want to encourage you guys. Uh, Matthew, or not Matthew, Russell this morning was talking about maturity. Uh, Maturity in Christ is about growing a greater trust in Christ. And I think that's what this all comes down to. If we'll trust God with the little things, He'll show us that we can trust Him with the bigger things. Then when people say to you, you know, how do you believe in a God that you can't even see or anything? Then we can say, you know what, I've experienced what God has done in my life. I've seen His works. I've seen the Spirit work in me and through me. And there's no way you can tell me that he isn't alive and he isn't well today. Uh, Micah mentioned something in Russell's class about you know the hard times and how God uses those hard times to mold us, but I think he only uses those hard times to mold us when we turn those hard times over to him and see what he's going to do with those. Uh, the reality is we're not there yet, but we want to get there, and the only way we can get there is by knowing Him more. We walk with Him daily. We admit that He does dwell in us. Promised us He'd never leave us, never forsake us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. It is in us. Amen? Okay, I don't have my hearing aids on. They're, they're all shut off. I don't know if you said anything. I see lips moving. But anyway. so Yeah, we know that that's true. It's an objective truth that we've been given. We have His Word that tells us what He wants of us. And I think if we would step out in faith and actually test Him, He'll come through. Now, I do want to say, I don't want you guys leaving thinking that you can just take this, you know, all this weird experience kind of stuff. Several years ago, my daughter, uh, one of my daughters, went into this thing. There's a group in Wyoming called Solid Rock Outdoor Ministries. Any of you ever heard of them? Familiar with them? It's a faith-based parachurch organization that takes young people and they spend 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. They teach them rock climbing, repelling, uh, survival tactics, how to read maps and how to set up camps and how to do all of this stuff. And then they actually go on these 40-day and 40-night adventures. And everything in it is bathed in prayer and scripture and they just really are trying to mold the kids to trust in God with everything, which is kind of what I've been sharing with you tonight. I had a little bit of a struggle with it. My daughter, when she came home, uh, there were some things that they, to, to me, they just kind of went over the top on. Like, for instance, one night they had camped beside this river and uh, the next day they had to get across the river to get to the place that they were going to go. They were kind of on a timeline. But before they did any action whatsoever, they all had to pray about it. And when God told them that it was time for them to move on, then they would move on. And uh, so they got up the next morning. They ate their breakfast. They had this prayer where there was one guy that did not feel the moving of the Holy Spirit in him. And so they all sat there. And three or four hours later, they all prayed again, but he didn't feel it. And three or four hours later, they prayed again, and he still didn't feel it. And, and I, I thought it was kind of funny because finally one, 
one of the instructors who had been pushing this, you know, you got to feel the God calling you to do stuff, went in and had a talk with him. For about lasted for about an hour, and when he came out, all of a sudden that guy had felt God calling him to move across that river, and they did. And so it's like I'm not saying base everything on a feeling. What I'm saying is act on what God's word tells you to do. He tells you to go out and help the poor and the needy, right? And there's a promise inherent in that that if you go and do it, He'll be with you and He'll bless you. Go out and share with the world the good news. Not be uncomfortable, you might not want to do it, but there's a promise inherent in that that if you will go and do it, He'll be with you and He'll bless what you're doing. So I just want to encourage you guys, take God's Word seriously. Do what God calls you to do, even if it feels a little out of your comfort zone. Just do it. And I promise you, God is faithful. God is good, and He'll show up. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You so much for being the only true and living God. We thank You for revealing Yourself in amazing ways that we can know that You are alive and that You want to be involved in our lives. You call us to open our hearts up to You. You sent Your Spirit to dwell in us because you want to be with your people. You want to accomplish things with them. And so I just ask your blessing on these young people here this evening that you will help them to trust in you more fully. Help them to take your word seriously and take those leaps of faith, stepping outside the boat, trusting that you're going to be there. I pray, Father, that they experience you in an amazing, powerful way, that they can know beyond any doubt that you are alive and active. That is my prayer for them. And I know, Father, that you will bring it about, because that's the God you are. Be with us as we leave here tonight, and just watch over us, keep us safe. We ask your blessing on Carlos and his healing. We just thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.